I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hi, I'm your inner dream monologue and you're fast asleep, so I'll be quick. Great job using the Colgate Optic White Overnight Teeth Whitening Pen before bed. When used as directed, it gives you a visibly whiter smile in just seven days. So while I fly and talk to animals, you're removing teeth stains with ease. Sweet dreams. And when you wake up, keep on living life to the brightest. Colgate Optic White. Find it at all major retailers. Hey, please advise nation. You might be asking yourself, what is this new podcast in my feed? And why is Malls the one talking? Well, this is Emotionally Broken Psychos, a Please Advise spinoff all about reality TV and the stuff that it makes us feel. And to make sure that everyone who subscribes to Please Advise has a chance to find Emotionally Broken Psychos, we'll be airing the first three episodes in the Please Advise feed. So if you like what you hear, search for Emotionally Broken Psychos on iTunes or whatever podcatcher you use and subscribe, just like you did for Please Advise. And if you hate what you hear, bear with us and maybe just skip past them. Seriously, guys, I appreciate you being cool about it. I know some people get real bent about having things in their feed that they did not subscribe to, but we here at Please Advise will only do this when we are bringing you new content that we want you to find that we are making specifically for you guys based on the notes that you send us and the feedback we get. So if this is a bummer for you, if you don't want it here, seriously, feel free to skip it. I'm so sorry to uh, annoy you, but... um, from time to time, we will be releasing new projects um, and extensions of the Please Advise family on this feed so that true malls heads slash Please Advise Nation know how to find us and the new stuff. We're doing it for you guys. Hope you like the show. Welcome to Emotionally Broken Psychos, a Please Advise spinoff. This is the podcast that dissects your favorite reality TV shows in a quest for self-improvement, or as we like to think of it, where displacement meets lulls. Whether it's healing a personal wound through lessons learned on The Bachelor, or reaching a better understanding of your interpersonal relationships through Vanderpump Rules, we'll mine our favorite reality TV shows for insight into human nature, the way we interact, 
and how we feel about ourselves. I'm your host, Molly McAleer. Okay, so episode two, and we're already mixing things up today. I do have a guest. It's my best friend, Ed Hansen, and we are sitting poolside in Topanga. We just went to Jackie Johnson, our dear friend's wedding last night, and it was amazing. Um, but I couldn't let this weekend go by without talking about Real Housewives of New York. There's so much stuff going on there and the dynamics between the women and what better person to talk about that with than Ed? I feel like Ed is the perfect person for this. Ed mostly has female friends, so you know a lot about female dynamics. Yeah, I'd say so. I can definitely spot a a few mean girl situations brewing, definitely. So there's so much going on with each of the women this year. Um, I want to first talk about, I guess, this new friendship that's emerged that I think is really setting the tone for a lot of things, which is the Bethany Carroll friendship. What do you think about them as friends? Um, I think like I understand, like I can understand why they appeal to each other. You know, like I can definitely see it like on a, on a surface level. Um, but I also find like a lot of aspects of their friendship, like very problematic for their, I mean, more so for Bethany and her brand, because I just like, I think the two of them together don't necessarily bring out like the best parts in each other. I mean, to say the least, I feel that the, it's become really, really established, especially in this last episode. You can really see how often they make eye contact and how they need to stick close together. And even just on listening to Be Real with Bethany Radio's, uh, Radio Andy's show with her, she was like, you know, she had Caroline and she was saying like, oh, and Carol's like, I hope we get to sit together. And Bethany's like, oh, we'll sit together. We'll make them, we'll make them put us together. Like they have this weird codependent best girlfriend us against the world attitude that i think is founded in the fact that they feel they're superior to these other women and so therefore it's almost like i don't know i mean it has like stanford prison experiment elements to it where they've been told that they are the officers and they're the people that are like the highest level and they're going to they don't give a fuck they're they're torturing all of these women individually in their separate ways luann has her own punishment and torture ahead of her she has had it all season jules total torture torture and punishment between them uh sonia at one point very much um i would say ramona ramona always skates by because they can't help but laugh at sonia um and dorinda i heard bethany call on her radio show um oh she called her something dorinda so Medler. no she called her something so she basically implied she was stupid she's like oh that rocket scientist dorinda medley had some stuff to say so which I actually find to be pretty cruel because I do think Dorinda for, of all the women on the show, she is, I think, probably the most well-read by, by a far stretch. I mean, I also think, like, you can't really be upset with someone for behavior you yourself do. That's just Housewives 101. I mean, like, one of the points that Carol did make that I was like, okay, they do all speak about each other behind each other's backs. There is the confessional moment. So it's sort of like, you shouldn't be persecuted for what you say in your confessional. However, you should be willing to say that in person as well, just so the narrative is consistent and it's not like you're in your confessional slamming someone and then you're smiling to their face. No, slam them to their face. However, I do think think that the manner and, and the, the, the particular elements that they're choosing to pick people apart for are not necessarily like I extremely humane. You know, I don't, I don't think it, it paints them in their best light for sure. 
Well, when Carol was saying, like, yes, friends do talk about each other behind their backs, Jules was basically saying, like, don't say that about Luann after she's just left. They're all at a dinner party in this scene. And Carol's saying that's what friends do. That's what friends do. They talk about each other behind their backs. And look, I'm going to say there is a grain of truth to that. You do talk about your friends behind their backs, especially when you're concerned about them. You say, like, oh, like... I'm worried about Ed. He has this thing going on. He's so stressed right now. I'm worried about blank, blank, and blank. You do talk like that about your friends. And that's what I think that's what Carol was saying. Um, but the way that she was being so dismissive of Jules is really the undertone that it is. It's like, shut up. You're not making a point. Like, this is just, this is like just listening to you blab, making a, like, I'm, I'm here to say we're all talking about something fine. She was belittling her. And I think that that is something that, I mean, I just feel so bad for Jules because she's obviously someone that deals with self-esteem because she has an eating disorder. She's obviously someone who deals with a complex surrounding her intelligence. And I think that she reminds me, she said something early on in the season, which is that people don't think I'm smart because I don't always say something, but I take note of it and I don't forget. And like, I really related to that because sometimes I will let, I'll let someone walk on me for a little bit. I'll be like, okay, I see you walking on me and I won't say anything because it's not always a time and place. It's not always the smartest opportunity to pick your fight, but like to be called to be in, have it be insinuated that she's stupid because it can't it's not understood that that's what she's doing is like really cruel and already pay piling onto issues she has surrounding her self-worth and i think that that's designed i think that carol and bethany are two very self-assured women they are very confident they see that she is weak in that way and they and they're going after her like just like pigeons just like pecking at her yeah and i also think like we're obviously speaking about a woman with a very public and obvious eating disorder. So it's sort of like that should be treated with kid gloves and that should be treated with compassion. And I don't think that they're treating it in either of those ways. And also low pro, they probably know she's about to go through like, she's having marital issues, compounding all of that. So that's a very scary, scary place. And health issues. And health issues with her kuchiku, her pistachio. So yeah, so I just think that, you know, like, there's no compassion here. It's not girl power. There's nothing. It's just totally, totally mean girl antics, you know? And I think that Jules is at a tremendous disadvantage because she doesn't have that rapid fire pace, you know, sort of like that ability to argue for herself in a cohesive and coherent way. She sort of loses the battle because when you get her apart from Bethany and Carol, or even the group at large, she's much more articulate. So I think Jules is very smart. I just think she gets nervous and clams up. And I also think that, I mean, Bethany's saying, you know, she has as much personal experience in her life with eating disorders because of her mother. You know, I would think that she would know that what she's doing to Jules is the worst possible thing she could be doing. And that she should... I mean, she should also, I mean, she and Carol being the two on the show who are the quickest and fastest to judge Jules, it's like your, it's like the, your friend that drinks too much pointing to all their other friends and calling them alcoholics. It's like they need to look in the mirror. They both obviously, I don't know if they have eating disorders or they are just very, very slender women, especially for their age. It's natural that you start to put on a little bit more weight. And Bethany has even said she's even lost weight since the beginning of Housewives. I just think that they're both very, very, very slender women who, you know, I think Jules probably has a more boyish figure than both of them as well, which makes her look even more slender. And 
I just, I don't, like, I'm not saying that to attack their body weight. It just, it seems a little bit close to home for them in my mind. You know, especially when we have Carol last year saying that she's on a diet of cucumbers and vodka only. It's like, and then we cut to this season and Jules is very honest about a lifelong battle with an eating disorder. And I think they have to, I think in their minds, they have to subconsciously or consciously distance themselves from that as much as possible and shine a light on it so that no one is looking at them anymore. Because I'm not going to lie, I looked at both of them for years and just assumed they had serious eating disorders. Mm. And that's not uncommon when you see, like, it is, you know, I've had so many friends who um, are told, like, oh, you need to go to rehab by their, like, drunkest friend. Or, like, so many people in my life be, like, you know... um, just finger pointing when their life is out of control and they are spiraling, they start finger pointing at other people. And I, you know, I think that there's enormous pressure on them to deliver content, especially while not focusing on their lives. Cause if you get into it, I mean, Carol started to pretend she cared about her fucking foster cat. So she would have a storyline when they came back from Christmas break. It was almost like the producer said, Carol, you have no storyline except for your non-existent vegan cookbook. So you need to pretend like you need to open up about something. And she's like, my cat Vinny, like they don't really share anything about themselves. Like Bethany, you said to me last night, you heard somewhere that Bethany has like an ironclad contract where they don't talk directly about Jason Brent or the divorce, which is probably very smart for legal reasons. But in, in effect, like that takes away a lot of the things about Bethany's life that are personal. And so the best thing Bethany can do is call out Sonia for a tipsy girl or rail on Jules for being anorexic and doing something that was truly bizarre. I don't, what do you think the calzone thing was? Is that just standard eating disorder stuff or is there something more mentally going on there? Like, cause that was really bizarre. I've been in, I've been in situations with people who have eating disorders destroy their foods so that it's inedible. Um, but, I, I, I mean, I don't, I, what, what's the diagnosis on that? I wish I had my Wikipedia here. I want someone from home who knows more about eating disorders to reach out. What was that when Jules baked the measuring cup into the calzone? I mean, neither of us are therapists. We don't know. We can only speculate. So like, we're just, we're literally sitting there and we're just speculating, but we're literally like, you know, I mean, she's, I'm, I'm sure in Jules's mind, she thought it was a joke, but I think like, you know, to the rest of us, that seemed like a very, like, like a telltale sign of someone who is sort of putting their food struggles. It's, it's just, it's, um, it's a tactic. I thought it's, it read like a tactic to me, even though I saw her eating. And again, like, I think, you know, going on a show like Housewives, you have this incredible platform. And not to say that, like, Aviva Dressery, you know, like, used her platform in the best way. But in a lot of ways, Aviva did. Because, you know, Aviva was someone who was an amputee. And she did a lot of work for charity and stuff. Like, I know the word prosthesis now. Yeah, exactly. And I know what it takes to get, like, a certain type of prosthesis. And I always felt that that was a very strong... I I really appreciate that about Aviva. And I think Jules has a platform now to speak about her eating disorder and to do it in a responsible way. I just would hope that her her co-workers slash co-stars would sort of aid her in that journey as opposed to picking her apart. And literally, because also, like... 
you know, what I read on radar, on, you know, radar online is that, you know, like basically, like you were saying, that they're supposedly Bethany has like more editorial control and that there's certain things, which makes sense. You know, like if you're in a nasty legal battle and you are smart enough to go, you know, if you're like on a show like this, then yeah, you should be smart enough to say this can't be discussed. It yeah. doesn't make it fair though. Yeah. And, you know, and honestly, like Sonia was wrong with Tipsy Girl. I love Sonia Morgan. I worship the ground and I worship, I love Bethany Frankel. I worship the ground Bethany Frankel was. On, but here's the thing. Sonia was wrong, but Bethany was wrong for how she handled it. She was mean. And I think she saw that she was mean in this episode. And I think, like, I, I, I needed that apology from her as a viewer. I needed that to psychologically keep Bethany in, like, high standing. Like, yeah, I mean, I did too. But at the same time, I feel like this is the new Ramona pattern. Like she understands. I think Bethany is a businesswoman and she treats taping these scenes like a businesswoman. And she goes in and she delivers. She's really quick. She's cutting. She gets it done. She reminds me of like a working mom that just like she doesn't care how she gets it done. She's going to get her work done as soon as possible so she can get out of work and go be with her kid. And that's really how I see Bethany on Housewives. She doesn't want to spend a lot of time petering around. So she knows like if when I do my scene with Sonia, I need to go in. And then what she does is we saw this with Luann. We saw this with, I mean, she was really, after I did an episode of uh, uh, Please Advise Mini App, now it would have been an Emotionally Broken Psychos app. I um, talked about this with Jason Shapiro. He was appalled by the way that Bethany treated Jules. And I just feel that throughout the season, Bethany has like betrayed me as a viewer so many times because she's someone that I've always rooted for and really loved. And I feel like... Because she was... Because she would, because she was the underdog. Bethany was the ultimate underdog who came out on top. So you always root for the underdog. And Bethany also, let's be honest, has always classically been the funniest. She is a Greek chorus. And I like seeing her in her Greek chorus capacity, not in the mean girl capacity. And I'm telling you, Carol, it's Carol. Carol. It's ego too, though. It's ego. Like, I think, I think Carol definitely, they all look down on the other women. They all look down. Carol is from the highest um, social standing in reality. Carol is from American royalty. And so she is from a very high social standing. Bethany is a self-made, you know, I don't know what, I mean, she probably has what, 150 million now in the bank more. And like, and after even that's before, and that's before her divorce. And so I just think like, you know, she, she has property. She, I, I think that Bethany's ego has really, really outgrown itself. And it's not the ego for this type of show. And Bethany herself has said many times, like, you know, when she t- took down Kelly Ben Simone on that, on that 100th episode special, she has said this about Jules on her radio, her radio show. She always says, don't hate the player, hate the game. And that to me really tells me that she views this as a game. She knows she's going in and she's being ugly and she's like saying nasty things. She knows that. And she's like, but this is the game we're in. And so that's to me says that that she's a little bit, she's a little bit in control of the narrative and therefore a little bit more in control of what comes out of her mouth than it is, than it seems when she says, you know, like I just read zones. Like I didn't, you know, I totally just blacked out and I was just screaming. And she did the same thing after Luann. It's like, you have to get a hold of that. 
Like, you have to get a hold of it. Like, I don't care if you're bleeding and if you're, you're in the middle of a $50 million divorce. Like, that doesn't mean anything to me. What means something to me is that you're someone that we rooted for and watched get pick on, picked on. And when, you know, Kelly Ben Simone said, I'm up here, you're down here, we loved you because you were put down there. And now I feel like she thinks she's up here and everyone else is down here. And she, she may not be dumb enough to say that, but she definitely... I mean, one thing that I was about to say to you before we started recording is that she is damning with her keywords this year. Like when she said Luann is unlikable, that's a Hollywood word. Unlikable is a Hollywood word. That's how you stop a character in a project in its tracks. Once someone says this character's unlikable, there's no re- there's no redemption. The character has to get a, a whole new set of qualities because unlikable is the worst you can be. Which, speaking of Luann, I actually was very impressed at the turn that we, t- we took with Luann because specifically, um, you know, as we know in all these, like, high school comedy, you know, the trope is, is like, so, like, you're always dying for, like, the cool girls to like you. You know, it's like, the, it's, Luann has, has, is finally embracing her inner Veronica. Like, if this is Heather's, like, uh, the minute she was like, well, I don't care about Bethany and I don't care about Carol and fuck yeah. them. That was exactly what she should have done because it like it, she was being, I love, Lu- you know, I love Luann. Right. I personally as a viewer and a fan, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Countess. I think the Countess has come up with some of the most amazing moments on that show. And like, and her life was absolutely fascinating. If you did not see the before they were housewives, Luann, Luann special, I mean, everything. you have to find it. I don't think they've ever done one about another housewife, but it's like her life is so beyond fascinating. You wouldn't <laughs> even begin to believe the layers. Like by the time Luann was 25, like she had already done more than most of these housewives have done in their entire lives right. up through, through their 50s. It's crazy. And also like the, you know, Luann very, <laughs> very openly talking about how she was living with a man for like three years in Italy. <laughs> Got herself on Italian television, which was amazing, and then uh, met the count, and then left him exactly two point five days later for uh, to be married for a seventeen year relationship or whatever she had with two kids. I mean, I think that says everything about Luann. And in a way, don't hate the player, hate the game. You know what I'm saying? It's BL. It's it's literally that is like so. You almost have to laugh at Luann. As long as she's not stealing your man, then you know what I'm saying? You just got to laugh at it. You know, a man cannot be stolen. A man goes willingly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, Luana's very European sensibilities. Like, I have to say, I do. I have total respect for Luann. I don't believe in quote unquote man stealing. I I think that you know, if this man had been in a marriage or something, that we would be in a little bit of a different scenario. Although I don't think that would have stopped Luann. But I, you know, the guy was out dating lots of women, and he happened to be on a date with a girl and went home with Luann. Like, does that sound? It, but, she's, you know, she's Luann. Luanne Lothario. Like, we can't really... You can't knock Luanne. I mean, Luanne's gonna get what Luanne wants. You know She's I mean? very amorous. I also think it's like, I'm over them calling her Luanne. Like, not oh. only do I feel at this point, I feel it's a little... I have to say, I would think that Carol would be... It was Sonia who started it. It was Sonia who no, started... but I mean, it was, but I'm saying the fact that they're still doing it. Like, Sonia doing it yeah. five Carol, years ago as... a writer. Get some new material. Come on, honey. But also, like, I would think that Carol's enough of, like, a society ass kisser that she would be aware that that's vaguely transphobic and like therefore not say that like i would think carol would have 
I think that Carol... I don't think it's transphobic. I wouldn't go there. I just think it's like a silly joke that they're able, because Luann has like a very horsey voice. She has a very deep voice. And I think that it's an old joke, but like honestly, never get... I mean, when it comes from Carol's mouth, yes, cringe. And here's the thing, like, want to love Carol, but this... Carol and her vegan boyfriend storyline yawn for decades. Like, I'm so bored. I am so bored with Carol. And, like... He's not even, like... He got less cute to me. And also, like, everything he says is, like, baking. He's, like, nasal. He's, like, yeah, I'm just making a pizza. Like, he says nothing. He brings nothing to the table. And that stupid fucking hat from last week. Yeah, and I was, like, oh, Carol, you and him writing the book together. Hmm. Hmm. They've already given up on it. Yeah. Yeah. They may, she said on Bethany's radio show that she and him may write a book that focuses on recipes that involve microgreens. Uh, but that's it. Um, but anyway, I really, I really quickly want to touch on, um, some relationship stuff in this season because we're already in relationships and I want to talk about the Dorinda and John cocaine secret of it all. A lot of people are saying online, I think it's pretty obvious on the show that John Modestian likes to get lit up. Bethany has made some allusions to a night that happened at her house in the Hamptons where things got a little bit, quote unquote, out of control, specifically with Dorinda. And Dorinda said something like, oh, you know, there's plenty of nights we're all up late, you know, having fun. And I think that sounded to me like a night that Dorinda may have indulged herself. I don't think Dorinda's a full-time cokehead. I think John Modessian does coke when he parties, like I think for sure. And I think that Dorinda indulges from time to time. Well, like you were saying, Bethany chooses her words very carefully. And I think we all remember when John stormed in at the bra party and she said something like, you're pretty amped up right now or something. Or you're pretty- She said, you're lit up. She said, do you want to break out some lines and talk about it? Yeah. And I was like, oh, hmm, what have you seen and what are you referencing? We all, you know, we're not stupid. Yeah. Like, so that's their business. You know, I think it's obviously, allegedly, we have no idea. We speculate. However, I just think that, I don't think John and Dorinda are a good match for each other. I think that, but I also think that, like, this is who she wants. This is my theory, and I talked about this on a a Please Advise Mini app, but again, this is for the new show. So I really believe that Dorinda is with John because when she was through going through an enormous, enormous period of grief, like crippling, unexpected, all-consuming grief, he brought her a lot of joy. And I think just like Richard, Dorinda's husband, said, like, Dorinda is a person who loves love. She loves company. She loves being with other people. And she did feel free to date. And John is someone that loved her husband. And he's fun. And he's well-known. And he's caring. Like, he literally cares for clothes for a living. Like, he is a naturally, I think, caring, giving person. And... Um, I think that Dorinda, you know, sometimes in a relationship and I've been in relationships like this, really, really troubling stuff starts to peter out and you start to see like, oh shit, this person is maybe a little bit of an addict or this person doesn't just like to socially drink or, um, you know, oh, this is starting to become a social liability, the stuff this person says. Or I have asked this person a million times to keep their fucking hands off me in a restaurant and John's still trying to finger bang her at a restaurant. But I think that despite all of this stuff coming out, Dorinda can't 
help but harken back to the time when she first started to be with John and he was the sunshine in her life when she had no sunshine. And so she, because of that, is very, very defensive of him and very protective. protective She's protecting her sunshine. And like it's and everyone else can see the flaws. And Dorinda knows the flaws too. She can see them. She's not blind, but she but more but she is fiercely, fiercely protective of him for that reason. Do you think that do you think that Dorinda dabbles too or do you think she sits on the sidelines uh, um i don't that i don't know like i i can't that i can't speak on but what i can say is that john is dorinda's achilles heel and i think it's the it, john is the part of it's it, it, john is the thing that makes dorinda most vulnerable to the attacks do you know what i'm saying like john is her biggest liability but he's also like i think for her like he's he's a tremendous asset for like in her mind he's a tremendous asset because he's fun and he's lively and he gets her out and you know the whole thing like she was cooped up she was in widow mode and i think john brought the life back to dorinda but it took on a new life that i think that for someone like ramona who for all intents and purposes the one thing i have to give ramona singer even though she is a stone cold psycho is that literally ramona does have a lot of female friends Ramona has a lot of female friends, if you ever pay attention to that, and they're loyal to her. And I was reading Carol's blog, and also, like, yes, I take Carol's blog, you know, like, I try to read in to get their insight into how they're thinking. And Carol has always said that, like, Ramona is a girl's girl. She's a good, I mean, that can be debated. But what I will say is Ramona is a loyal friend, and Ramona does seem. So I think that the concern for her... Can I say, I thought that was so cute when Ramona came to Bethany's house and said, I brought a magazine to read in the other room, and I'll just be here for company for you yeah. when Bethany was recovered. Like, Ramona is a good friend. She's a good friend, and they all... That, that's why she has so many female friends around her, and that that can't be... Like, that can't not be acknowledged. Like, that has to be acknowledged. But with that said, I think, like, Dorinda know, Or, excuse me, like, Ramona knowing Dorinda in her former life and seeing Dorinda as this lady who lives on the Upper East Side. She married well. She probably conducted herself in a very different way from the Dorinda we know now, who's Dorinda of Housewives, Dirty Martini Dorinda, John Medesian Dorinda. It's probably like such a 180 that it must be jarring to see. So in some regards, like I can understand Ramona's thought process and psychology of like why she has to call this all out. But in the other sense, it's sort of like the one thing you have to know about people in life is that they're going to do what they're going to do. And people are always going to do what they want. And you can give your two cents for your friends but your friends are ultimately going to do what they want to do so that's the one takeaway now speaking to Luann's guy Tom Bethany has said in her blog that here's the thing about Bethany I even though she went so Rambo inappropriate inappropriately Rambo on Luann I can understand where if you have someone who's like basically contradicts themselves at every turn and then is calling you out, you might snap in a crazy way. And if you're having all these life... I'm not defending what Bethy did because I think she needed to say probably for her. She could have said it in a different way. But then again, Bethy knows... She's got a camera there. You know what I'm saying? Bethany is very Lisa Renna in the sense that she knows she has her job. Like, that's very, that's a very Lisa Renna attitude for me. Like, yeah. it's like, okay, we're here. Let's, and that's a very Brandy Glanville ask, too. Brandy's the same way. Brandy's like, all right, I better say some shit. But the thing is, is that I don't know if Bethany's necessarily super, I'm praying 
that Luann's instincts are coming through. Because Luann says that she has tremendous people instincts, and I believe that. Yeah. I really do believe that. But Bethany's saying, I smell I something, you know, stinks around here. You know, like, you know, I've been rewatching season one lately and tom definitely popped up on season one and he was there flirting with ramona and flirting with her friend joni he called her friend joni promiscuous to her face to a woman he'd never met before wait season one tom luann's fiance Mm -hmm. when was this what event okay so it was like it was when we were just getting to know ramona and it was like I think it was, like, immediately following – it was either, like, the, the dinner party she left at Jill's house when Simon showed up. She went out with her friends. It was one night that Ramona goes out with her friends. I don't know if it was right after the dinner party. Ramona's out with her friend Joni and some other Upper East Side blonde. Tom, there are two guys come up. No, I remember this. And these two guys are like, hey, what's going on with you? And they're, like, flirting with them. And Tom – Luann's guy goes to Joni. Joni's a very attractive, like, Italian-looking lady. And he's like, you look very promiscuous. And that's not a compliment to a woman. Like, that's not a, that's not, like, a something you say to a woman to charm her. So, I just found that to be very, like, basically, like, if you're implying that Tom is dying to be on camera, well, I understand why Bethany has a pause for concern. Like, I can understand that now. Like, if he, the evidence is there. So, usually when those, and Bethany also is hypersensitive because she got burned. My immediate takeaway from that is maybe even less that he wants to be on camera, but when you have, like, when you're a billionaire guy, single player, like, it's less about I want to be on camera and more about what can I get? Like, what can I get? So maybe it's like getting it – maybe being on being famous is less his concern. He's just like, can I do this? Like, can I or go like in – these women are like – they he wants to take them down. Yeah, like – Like like, like, like in, a, in like, like a bang them kind of way. Like, yeah, like because yeah. to go on – to have no problem going on and saying something that I'm sorry, you don't have to be a genius to know that that's an asshole thing to say. Like, that's not – that's not a subtle thing that, like, that is something only a rich asshole with nothing to lose says. And that's what they said to him. They were like, you're assholes. And it was so funny. And then we all know that Ramona and John ended up going out a few years later. But Tom? it's uh, Tom. Sorry. But it's on camera right there. And also the thing that makes me so uncomfortable, I watched Ramona's vow renewal again. I watched Morocco again. And it's like, how long had Mario been cheating is the real question. It's so sad because, it's like, so sad. she was so in love with him. So and if you'll remember even those just those terribly uncomfortable scenes where remember that one scene where Ramona wanted to surprise him and he came home and she was in a lingerie she was in some like grandma lingerie on the couch and then she like oiled his chest down and like he was giving her she was giving him a massage and it looked like I I mean it was just like I I, it looked like I, I I don't, it looked like she was slapping away a puppy or something. Like, there was no, like, kneading. There was no sensuality. I was just like, Ramona's sensuality is, like, <laughs> is non-existent. Like, there's no sensuality. Like, can you imagine Ramona working a piece of dough? I mean, I guess I should go back and rewatch the pizza scene because I, like, I was like, this woman knows nothing about, like, caressing someone or Ramona, something. Okay. Okay, Ramona seems like she's really good at acrobatic sex positions. Yeah, like she's like she'll she'll contort in crazy ways. She'll put her thing down, flip it, and reverse it. Because Mario and her reportedly had a very good sex life, and you could tell they were hot for each other. Because Sonia said, Sonia was like, "Well, I was always in the room next to him. Trust me, it wasn't their sex life that was a problem." And I'm always like, I believe that. I just also believe that like he succumbed to a midlife crisis, and Ramona is for like that's why they all have to give Ramona credit because Ramona is again 
bananas crazy, bananas foster, but she's a good looking woman. She kept up her look. She had put a lot of effort in her daughter. Think they did a good job with Avery. Yeah. I think they did a pretty good job with Avery. Like Avery for was always like mortified by Ramona. <laughs> but like I think Avery has started Damn. to get Avery was chic enough to call out her mom on being like very uncool to Luann and totally. being like, Mom, what the fuck was that? When Roman yeah. Ramona was like, Well, Luann's like, I'm in love. I just met the love of my life. Ramona's like, Well, I just want to let you know. Um, he sent a gold bracelet to yeah. his <laughs> girlfriend and uh he still talks to her every day. Like, what? what am I doing? And I- and Avery was like, Avery was like, Mom, what the fuck was that? Like it was amazing. Um, but and and I was disappointed at the end of that scene. We never got to see Luann's extensions. Okay, okay but uh, continue. No, I actually I, I think I think Ramona definitely has obviously been a good mother, which is like I'm sure very important to her. Her daughter went to Emory, which is like a great school. She seems fairly well adjusted for having those two for parents. And you know, if you think back to season one, there was something very refreshing and also adorable but realistic about Ramona telling her, like, 12-year-old daughter, like, make sure you go make your own money. Make sure you go out and get your own business. Make And I respected that about Ramona because I was like, that's important to say. That's She was not like, make sure you marry the right rich guy. She wasn't saying that. So I want to talk to you about gender roles because within this franchise, we've seen more gender role issues in marriages and relationships than we have um, on any other season. And I think that, you know, part of me wonders if... Ramona's strength is something that was really, really hard for Mario because, like, you know, Ramona always says, you know, making money is like an aphrodisiac for me. That was her first tagline. Um, Back in the day, like, you know, um, I mean, Ramona even said in this episode, some girls like to lunch. I like to do business. Like, Ramona's business has always been a big thing for her. And I know that one thing that came up in her um, that she said came up in her divorce was that Mario was unhappy with her and i wonder if it's partially because you know the show just kind of consumes these people's lives and whatever was before you can never really have that again once you're on these shows um but i wonder if part of it was that she was the sole earner or the main earner in the family i also wonder if um Okay, so then, like, let's take Michael and Jules, for example. So, you know, they seem to have that really typical Manhattan wife, like, you know, your bank account is taken care of relationship. At the same time, I am so impressed at how well she's handling their divorce. Like, and and I've been, I've heard from several things that uh, everyone on the cast knew about the divorce when the show was starting. But, um, so like Jules was already going in a little bit like, um, a little bit like Camille Grammer. Like, this is going to be my bridge out of my bad relationship. And, um, I'm really impressed with the way she's handled herself and that she's already working on a business, which by the way, I think that's going to actually do very, very well. The products that she developed, I think, I think she needs better packaging. She needs a better label. Oh, I actually really kind of liked the, I mean, I thought. I thought the recipe sounded, I mean, as someone who, you know, is in the juice business, you know, I thought the recipe was divine. I think her packaging needs to be, it's not as, it's not chic to me. I did not think. It it looked like a lot of the things they have at Whole Foods to me, just in terms of like the kombucha, it looked like a kombucha label. I'm, I would be interested to see what the alternative could be, to be honest. But I, uh, I was really sorry. There's so many birds here and we were warned that like owls like swoop down and pick up tiny dogs but here. Owls are so, nocturnal, right? so, uh, I don't know. I if, believe they're nocturnal. I don't. 
But yeah, so we, uh, I just, I've been thinking a lot about the business aspect of it and how he was so belittling of her when she was in that meeting for her label saying like, oh, she just wants to be like Lucy in the factory and like really, really cutting her down. And I just, I wonder with these husbands sometimes, like Jordan Takeman was like this too. Um, Kristen's husband on last season where, you know, he was like, oh yeah, you play business. I have a real business. So, you know, you have your little thing really, really belittling and really dismissive. Like, is that so it's obviously because he, they want he, these men want to make sure that these women know that they were the, he was the best thing to ever happen to them, right? I mean, oof, yeah, that's like heart. I, it's almost like saying like like have fun with your little project. Yeah. Like this is going to be some nice lemonade stand money for you. When yeah. in reality, it's like I think that I mean I think that Jordan knew that Kristen's nail polish line wasn't going to take off in a crazy way, but. I honestly think Jules's product could be yeah. some like big shit. Yeah. I I agree and I think it's yeah, like I think you know um well it was interesting too because like Josh Takeman like I think with the whole Ashley Madison thing like I I was very surprised. I guess not very surprised, but they got off that show real quick because you could tell like that was definitely going to be a vulnerability for them that they would have to address, especially with that group of women. They would not have let it go, friend or not. So, I mean... How bad, by the way, was that um, was that uh, thing that night when they were all at dinner and he was taking a selfie, Michael was taking a selfie of himself by the like hostess stand and they were like oh and like Dorinda tweeted after she was like oh like you're taking a selfie like you're doing Instagram right now and I'm thinking to myself that's not an Instagram picture that's a picture that you're taking for your hoe that's like oh you you're dressed up like let me see a picture of you like that is I've taken that picture from a guy that's like oh like into you at first wants to see a picture of you like pretty out at a dinner yeah like when you take a picture that's not that's not a self. That's not high quality Instagram selfie material. That's a quick like, dude. This is for you. Like, and also the washing the woman off of him of it all is so disgusting. Like, a Jules. It's like, did you hear? It? I think he said "fuck you" to Jules when they were at the door at Dorinda's in this last episode, and they're like um, late to dinner. Okay, so they're late to dinner, and uh, Sonia's telling her her intern how to use the intercom, yeah. and Jules is outside and. And they ring the doorbell. And Michael's like, oh, is she going to make a stand out here? And Jules goes, seriously, Michael? Like, you're 10 minutes late to come home again? And then you hop right in the shower? And I heard him go, like, fuck you or something. And yeah. I was like, did he just say fuck you to her? And, like, I don't know what's going on. Like, oh. the police showed up to their house. That's been, like, talked about on on Bethany and everything. Apparently, the police, the, blogs, yeah. Yeah, the police showed up to her house. And, like, I don't know was that like a domestic dispute like do you think they fight really nasty like i think that the two of them it seems like they fight really really nasty like fuck you you're I a pig you're a bitch according like according to radar online i'm not 100 percent positive but i think jules did have an incident where she hit michael or something and like so he the police were called but i don't think she got arrested i think it was just like a note like a noted report i mean you know couples fight nasty sometimes if you're going through divorce it's acrimonious but you know what i will say is is that like jules is not being subtle about calling into question his fidelity where are you michael 
How come you're, you know, like she's done a lot of, hmm, that's interesting, Michael. Where, who are you talking to? Who are you talking to, Michael? I'm like, oh, not only is she, is she, she calling this in a question, she's doing so with evidence. Like she's like, here's, here we are, recorded, time slot. Where are you talking to, Michael? Who are you talking to? It's, it's on camera. She wants people to know that her husband is cheating on her. So I don't know if that's like, uh, you know, I, 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 the psychology of like, why she chose to air that is very interesting. I mean, well, I I do think that there is something to, I, I have to say, I think she has enormous strength. Like a lot of people make fun of her for being stupid or weak or whatever. That seems to be the labels they want to slap on her. But I actually think she's enormously strong. Like it's very lemonade. Like it is very lemonade the way that she's just kind of, yeah, she, bagging on him. Yeah, I think like she has, she's displaying, even though with, you know, given her background and her issues, she's displaying tremendous confidence in this divorce. And I also think she's not stupid. Like she, that girl should get hers. You know, she's got, Oh, she will. She's going to get hers. Like, I don't think she's dumb. And I also read that she went in on a million dollar apartment with her two sisters and she hadn't paid like the condo fees or something. So they were suing her, but it was like nothing. It was like $25,000 or something. It was not a big deal. So I'm like, Jules, pay that. Make sure you're cool with your condo. Who knows if this is a divorce condo? I don't know what it is, but I do know that according to Radar, <laughs> Jules and her two sisters own a condo that Jules. I think they're, they're from family money for sure. I think that both of them are probably from wealthy families. And if I had to guess, I would say that Jules's family is probably even a little bit wealthier than Michael's just in presentation like Jules seems like someone who was born and bred very wealthy and Michael doesn't not but he does seem a little bit more hardworking. Yeah, Jules definitely, you know, and I mean, I also feel so bad for Jules because she has like this whole family drama going on with her sick dad. And like, you know, I don't know. I just I just feel like it's been a tough season for her, but she's been very resilient despite all the haters, you know, and I also just I just want Bethany to be more compassionate. Like Bethany was crying at the drop of a fucking, you know, like at the drop of a fucking scene, you know, every scene, like every she was crying. She's like, I don't cry. Yes, you do. You cry constantly. You there. There there are two things you say you never do, which is talk about your family and cry you do both a lot and here's the thing i like that i think it it shows your vulnerability vulnerability is beautiful i just think that you need to show some empathy absolutely now i just really before okay so we're gonna wrap it up soon but i want to talk a little bit more about bethany hitting the keywords and um we started to talk about this before but i feel that like she was really really intentional and we've always we were you were saying you know they've always held sonia drunk and like whatever i think that bethany was really really intense by saying like why don't you just call it stupid girl why don't you just call it drunk girl like Bethany has been hitting some keywords and some labels really, really hard this season. And I think that that speaks to her marketing ability. I think that speaks to her knowledge of how people consume media. Bethany herself owns a production company now. That girl trademarks things in her sleep. Like she... Bethany is very, very, very smart. And I think she knows a lot about TV. She's very into the ratings right now. When you listen to her radio show, she talks a lot about the ratings. She says that the lowest rated episode of the season was that quote unquote stupid dog wedding, which by the way, stupid dog wedding. I couldn't even handle that. The dog wedding. Like I could I couldn't even actually um a Boston College alumnus, yes. Amanda Hurst, was in that episode. She was my my year at BC. I was like, okay. So Amanda Hurst, famously to me, this is like so famous to me because I grew up so normal. But like, I remember like she got a merry maid to come and clean her dorm room like when she left for the year. And to me, that was like so absurd. Like I was like, who the fuck, <laughs> who the fuck hires a maid? 
to do like your clean out at Boston College. And then like, and, you know, I guess a couple other people thought it was ridiculous. But for the most part, everyone I knew was from like some semblance of money. So they didn't think it was that insane. I thought it was like absolutely insane that she had a merry maid. And now I'm like, Molly, you were just middle class. Uh, but yeah, I, uh, I, um, really, really feel for Sonia. I, I think that the scene of her cleaning out her garage, this is a show where I want to like, where we're talking a lot about displacement. And I think, do you know what displacement is? Let's say you and I get in a fight. Okay. And, and you're so upset about it that you can't really face the reality that you and I are in a fight. Like, pretend it's a huge fight. Like, we're not talking for some reason. And it's, like, a huge fight, and you can't handle that. And, like, so when so you're watching Real Housewives, and all of a sudden, like, seeing the way that Bethany is treating – or that seeing the way that Bethany is treating uh, Luann, who you know she used to have a friendship with so viciously – that um, that you take it on and you get irrationally enraged with Bethany and or Luann. It's displacement is the act of refocusing your emotions on a new idea yeah. so that you don't have to deal with the with the um, like immediate side effect. Um, or it can be seen in like um, chains of anger or reaction like in a family. An example of displacement is like the dad is mad at work. So he comes home and he hits his wife right, and then his anger, yeah. and then his wife. Uh, uh, you know, decides to beat the kids yeah. because she's actually just feeling, you right. know. So um, we talk about that sort of stuff a lot on the show, and I feel like like Sonia is the person we see deal with this the most, and that she is constantly referring to a life she doesn't really have anymore. Um, she turns everything into like Sonia just doesn't seem to have a way to a real way of dealing with reality. Like Sonia seems to deal with reality through avoidance tactics. Like, it's not about, it's it's about Smokey Abdu and Stad. It's not about, and it's about the $7 million settlement. And it's about JP Morgan leaving her or whatever. It's not about, it's not about, oh, um, I'm drinking too much. I'm in over my head with a house I can't afford to maintain. I am uncomfortable in this situation on reality television that escalates every problem in my life. Um, I think a lot of times these people on these shows wind up saying, like, the, their biggest problem is that they're on this show, but they need to stay on the show. And it's like a, a snake eating its tail. Like, it's like they have to stay on the show to keep the money in, but it's the money that's making everything worse and the exposure on the show that's making everything worse. And so then they go out and do destructive things, and that me- means that they need the show even more. So it's almost like the Vanderpump rules of it all. Like, where I don't know if Stassi dealt with that directly, but it's like she got so big on the show that it she wanted to do nothing but push it away. And then once she pushed it away, she had nothing, so she had to go cross back. I mean, I uh, the way I approach Sonia, I think Sonia definitely has, you know, there's a slight Miss Havisham effect to her. But what I will say is, is that, like, to a less, I just think that the viewers are not, well, I would hope they would be sophisticated enough to really read through the assaults that have been given to Sonia's character and financial standing. First of all, like, like, I don't know if this, like, resonates, but to acquire a $7 million debt, first of all, means that you're a person of means. To then pay a $7 million debt, cash in hand, plus court fees, means not only are you a person of means, you're a survivor. 
Sonia Morgan is a fucking survivor. She restruck the chapter 11 was the smartest thing she could have ever done because honestly, if we're speaking about New York real estate, her, she's sitting on a very, very, very valuable piece of property. She's not stupid. She should try to stay in that house, even if she is, like, the plumbing is jittery. Because in 10 years, that house is going to be at least double, probably, what she paid for it. And that is, if, as we know, Sonia and her ex-husband acquired several properties. Sonia was smart enough to probably push that man to buy those properties for her. She was able to sell those properties all in that profit, which is how she paid off her debt. And I think the concern about Sonia in business that she's unfocused in business, that I think she's definitely unfocused in business because opportunities seem to come to her a lot. And I think that's more what they were speaking about where it was like, okay, be savvy with the opportunities you are going with because you've been fucked over many times. And if you don't learn from that, that's a problem. And I don't, and, and to me, it's questionable. I think Sonia Morgan, New York, the fashion line is gorgeous. And I, I really hope that that does well for her. But in terms of, so supplementing the idea that like she should keep this townhouse, the townhouse is one big, it's like one big artifact of her marriage. The townhouse represents her marriage. It represents who she was in New York. And I think like, you know, I think she needs to probably like probably pay down her mortgage. I think in 10 years she should sell it and I think she should go. But in the meantime, I think, you know, she stopped drinking, which I think was tremendous. I don't think she did. I'm going to be honest with you. I think she did. I, I don't think she did just because that last scene at the Italian, at the, the Italian restaurant that night. Yeah. She well, she had like two glasses of wine, but that's like oh okay. I thought that she I didn't okay see because she was slurring and her speech was affected. So I thought when when Sonia says I stopped drinking, like she doesn't drink. Yeah. Um, but I was like, oh, her speech is like affected at this. Yeah, but uh, she wasn't like a fall down drunk. Like you know, I think there. I think that there were times when Sonia was mixing, who knows what. And I think that that is what they were all speaking about. That behind the scenes, that probably could be extremely scary if you're watching someone mixing and then you're the person kind of looking out for them. I think I have not seen that from Sonia all season, you know, and so... Yeah, I think that she took a real, real... I mean, she was raked over the coals, and to be honest, I think that she probably had a little bit of a come to Jesus with herself because she does have a daughter, and, you know, it is... It is all fun and games, but I do think that she, until somebody gets hurt, but I do think that she started to see, like, I'm hurting myself, I'm hurting my reputation... And it got her cut out of her girlfriend group. Like, no one wanted to film with her. No one wanted to work with her. And Luann, who she's been at odds with at times over the years, you know, um, was really uh, the only person that was willing to film with her for the beginning of the season. Um, one thing that I wanted to say about mixing is that last night at the wedding, I <laughs> I thought I was drunk. And so I drank like 15 glasses of water and I just realized I was on so many edibles that um, I needed to go home. And it was like 11 o'clock and it was a perfect time for us to exit the party. And I'm just saying, I just want to say, I think you and I have made some very Sonia Morgan-esque changes. We went home before we turned into pumpkins. We slept well last night. We woke up, we're here in beautiful Topanga recording a podcast right now we're already being productive how yeah. great are we yeah i mean i hey productivity is my life man productivity is your life you know what i mean man. like i'm a plant i'm a machine um so i think that i mean Ed, do you have anything else you want to say about real housewives in new york 
No, I just, I mean, I guess I just want to say I hope that we can see a more soft turn from Bethany this season. I'd like to, like, you know, I think she needs to shake off, you know, Carol from her back. I think Carol has been, you know, tagging along, and I think it's time to dust little Carol off. Just, you know, dust that shoulder, dust that Carol off. And I would like to see a little bit more Greek chorus, Bethany. I need to see, like, when Bethany... (laughs) When Bethany was saying, when she was trying to help Jules argue with herself, that was funny because, yeah, like, Jules does clam up a little bit. So she's like, let me be. Yes. <laughs> that was hysterical. And I want to see more. We need the laughter back. We need to We need to laugh. Yeah. It's been a hard season. We need laughter. Yeah, I know. Bethany keeps talking about how this is the most hysterical season. And it's like, I guess so. But not really. I mean, Andy and Bethany, saw, like, seem to think that the Dorinda's Berkshire House weekend was, like, a quote-unquote hysterical episode. And it's like... Like, babe, that is not hysterical. That is like literally adult humans at their absolute worst. And it's psychotic. And like to think of actually being there, like, I mean, I'm nauseated by just the thought of it. Like, Morocco it's- last season is a great example of, a, of a, an episode where the, all the comedic elements came into place. Like, oh, I wait, mean, wait, wait, no, you mean oh, sorry, uh, Bahamas? Uh, oh, no. Turks. 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 Oh. And, Turks <laughs> the, the Turks part two episode after Bethany had left and then uh, the be cool, don't be all uncool incident. Yeah. That to me, that was like the funniest. Like, oh, even the two episodes leading up to it was so funny. Like, can I say I think Ramona was on blow on in that um, episode where they went to the club and like she like ran over the club owner when Carol and Bethany were in the middle of a conversation with him and completely oh, caught. I like I disagree. I don't think Ramona does drugs at all. I think you know what Ramona's on. Oh, she's on Adderall or something. Ramona's on Ramona. It's no, like, no, 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 no. She's Ramona is a, from the nineties, no. and I think she like I think Ramona, I think Ramona has like um a nineties no nineties rom com attitude where it's like she's like that girl who was like on like Def Jam or so or she's like she's like on MTV one of those like MTV dance shows like Camille Grammer she's like in a Leah people Jill Jill Zarin did say I don't know where she said it but she said you know Ramona's on coke right what? like. I won't, I don't remember where exactly I heard that, but I know I heard it. And, uh, and I'm not, it doesn't surprise I me. I think Ramona has probably been on Adderall or maybe even some sort of 80s speed for years. It just doesn't, it does, there's not, people just aren't, like, there's no like that that's not medicated. Either she has a mental, a literal mental illness between the eyes popping out, the fast talking, the mood swings. It's something. It has to be something. I think Ramona's ultimate drug is control. I think Ramona is a control freak to the to the like to the right. core. Right. Ramona is the woman who needs to control every facet of everyone around her. Like if you're in her family, honey, she's calling the shots. Like Avery, Mario, those two. I mean, Ramona's drug is control for me. That's what I think. And that said, you should also. I mean, we're going to give you this at the end of the show, but you know what our email address is for this show where people can email us voice notes and their diagnoses and stuff like that. Guess what our email is? Ramona Singer at EmotionallyBrokenPsychos.com <laughs> Thank you so much for doing this. Do you want to come on like once a week and do this with me? Yeah. I would love to be emotional all the time. Okay. I'll have you over the house. We can do something you say. We can do maybe Real Housewives in New Jersey together. Oh Talk about the tears. I cried so hard the first episode. And I know. I, I can't wait to get into it. And this. I'm human and that's okay. I re- Okay. So let's do uh, Real Housewives in New Jersey together next week, you guys. I'm going to be coming back to talk about Kardashians, The Bachelor. Oh, cool. 
Why do you love that so much? I don't know why that is. I don't know. It's like it's it's some drag like Laganja did it or something, and Chloe picked it up, and just Chloe gives me life for everything. So Chloe's the best Kardashian. Chloe just be like, like, and then Kim and like they they're just like three little birds. I love them. Yeah, they're really. I actually have to say, I've begun to think they are cuter and cuter as the years gone on. Um, I Chloe's just always been the best Kardashian. Thanks for listening to Emotionally Broken Psychos, learning self-awareness through reality television. Find us and subscribe on iTunes. And if you really love the show, consider giving us a five-star rating and a sweet-ass review. You can find more information about the show, including links to supplemental material, on EmotionallyBrokenPsychos.com. We'd love to hear your theories, aha moments, and other juicy tidbits. So reach out anytime to Ramona Singer at EmotionallyBrokenPsychos.com or call us at 415-779-2467. That's 415-PSYCHOS. Emotionally Broken Psychos is produced by Meredith Brace Loss with support from Christina Lopez. Thank you to Mary Kenny for our logo. Until next time. 